welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Chris Wiley on October 16th, Lord's Day Service. great to be with you again. This is one of my favorite places to be. Get to renew some acquaintances and preach. And preaching, of course, is something else I enjoy very much. The passage I'm uh, reading from and preaching from this morning is found in Ecclesiastes. It begins in chapter 9, verse uh, 11, and I'll read through chapter 11, verse 6. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves and horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not, take, uh, does not sharpen the edge, He must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. 
The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through the sloth, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for, for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the Spirit, comes to know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether you will alike, uh, whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is my first, uh, or not my first, my fourth uh, message to you from the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, the first message that I delivered, I think it was back in January, uh, was on uh, obviously the first few chapters in Ecclesiastes, and the subject of vapor was addressed, meaning uh, vapor... Uh, is uh, something that is uh, insubstantial, passes away, uh, burns away under the heat of the sun. And the refrain that we hear in the book of Ecclesiastes again and again, uh, all is vanity, actually uh, all is vaporous is a better way to translate that. The Hebrew word is bell, and that ought to bring to mind uh, a fellow who lost his life early in the book of Genesis by the name of Abel. That was his name. His name was Vapor, a vapor who appears for a period of time and is gone. Of course, we know why he's gone. His uh, brother killed him. Then uh, I addressed my second uh, sermon, the subject of, the, of, the, of uh, eternity uh, being present in the heart and how uh, we as human beings long for things that this world cannot satisfy. There's something to us as human beings which has a, sort of an end in eternity and we won't uh, enjoy the kind of bliss and blessedness that we all long for until we find ourselves in the presence of God. So that was the second message. And then the third message that I delivered, I think it was back in June, uh, had to do with the subject of disillusionment and how disillusionment is a kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, no one likes to be disillusioned, but on the other hand, disillusionment is good because who wants to live by illusions? If you have illusions that you live by, they ought to be dissed. And so consequently, uh, God, in the course of our lives, uh, can lead us through periods of disillusionment, and uh, that has an upside and a downside, as I said. Today, I want to address the subject of insurance. 
this passage that I read to you contained a number of really profound statements, and each one of those statements could be the subject of a time together where we reflect deeply upon them. Uh, but they're not desperate and sort of like thrown together in a, in a haphazard manner. There is actually kind of an internal logic uh, that you can discern with how the, the sayings are collected. Um, one of the things that comes through, of course, is life is uncertain. And we do a number of things to prepare for the uncertainties of life. I, I for years, lived in Hartford, Connecticut, where an entire industry uh, has been developed to address the fact that bad things happen. <laughs> it's called the insurance industry. You know, that's the home of, you know, the Hartford and Cigna and and any number of other uh, travelers and so forth. And a lot of, a lot of the, uh, uh, the men in my church uh, at, when I served there were you know, employees in those firms. In fact, my entire, my entire uh, session was made up of insurance executives. Guess what they always thought about? <laughs> Risk. <laughs> and how we might find ourselves in a bad spot if we don't prepare ahead of time. But uh, no matter how much you prepare, there's stuff that's, uh, you know, going to happen that you can't prepare for. Um, even the best laid plans of mice and men go awry, as the saying goes. And here we see in this passage uh, uh, that subject addressed. And uh, the fact that, that things don't seem to, to follow when it comes to our virtues and the results that uh, our virtues seem to uh, merit. Let me take you to uh, the, the, the first few verses there in the reading. This is in chapter 9, beginning at verse 11. He said, Again I saw the sun, that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor, the bread to the, or, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. So, in other words, just because you're fast doesn't mean you always win. Just because you're strong doesn't mean you'll always be the victor. Just because you're intelligent doesn't mean that you'll always eat or enjoy wealth. Uh, what we find in the world is that sometimes, even though we have these capacities, these virtues, these strengths, the things that we believe or can infer that they should lead to don't lead where we'd like to see them go. And this refrain that we see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, this statement under the sun is intended to bring to our minds that very uh, uh, term that I noted earlier, vapor, uh, and how vapor is burned away under the heat of the sun, and over the course of our lives, our lives burn away. Um, in fact, this is something that James picks up on in chapter 4 of, of his uh, epistle, that if you, I don't know if you recall, but he says in an offhanded way, what is your life? This is chapter 4, I think it's verse 14. It's a, it's a mist that appears for a while on the, on, on the horizon and then is gone. Isn't that an encouraging thought? Something that, you know, you know you, you've seen those inspirational posters, uh, you know, in term, you know, you maybe, you, maybe you've got some in your home. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you ought to, we ought to have one that says your life is a vapor. <laughs> that just is there for a little while and uh, your life burns away. Momentum mori is a uh, statement or a saying that the Stoics were known for. 
Uh, it was also something, I believe, that was whispered into, into the, uh, a man's ear as he rode in a chariot uh, in a triumph. Uh, when, you know, you've probably seen those swords and sandals films, you know, like Ben-Hur and so forth, where, you know, there's been some general who's won a great victory and there's a big parade in the city of Rome and he's riding through the city in a chariot. Well, according to tradition, uh, while he was uh, receiving the adulation, there was somebody whispering in his ear the entire time, you will die, you will die, you will die. Something good to know, something good to remember. A little sobering uh, news that I think helps us uh, pass through life. You know, another thing is, is that even though we live in a world where we've got more, I think, capacity or, or computing power to predict outcomes than ever before, you've seen these computer models, right? This is what will happen if this and this is the case. They always seem to be wrong, by the way. But anyway, we've got this remarkable power to sort of foresee and calculate, but Nevertheless, there are things that happen that we just cannot foresee. There are, like, there, there are sometimes referred to as black swans. Uh, there was a book by a fellow named Nicholas Taleb. It was a marvelous book entitled The Black Swan. And people didn't think that there were black swans until they actually saw some. And so there were some, I guess, you know, folks out there that more or less believed that uh, a black swan was an impossibility until they found some in Australia. But there are things that happen like 9-11, that no one predicted, but changed the world. Things like this are beyond the, our power to predict or, or to prepare for. Now, in all of this, one thing is certain, and that's not taxes, it's death. We will all die. And as that statement, remember you will die, die uh, it sort of implies is that unless we keep that in mind, we uh, will not be prepared for the most important thing that we have to face. Now, there are two ways to deal with it. Uh, most people deal with it in the, the manner that I think is, uh, I think, something that we can all understand, and that's denial, just simply failing to attend to this, this important fact, I will die. They just kind of pass through life denying uh, the undeniable and then find themselves dying. Then uh, the other approach, and the better approach, and the one that is implied by memento mori is this, swallow the bitter pill. Accept the f this fact, and this will provide you with important nourishment spiritually, uh, which will help you to grow in wisdom. Now one of the things that uh, this uh, passage, or these, this passage of scripture that I read also conveys is that even though we can't predict the things that will occur and even though we can't guarantee certain outcomes uh, based on ability uh, or maybe good you know sort of an environment or good environment in which we find ourselves in uh, nevertheless there are consequences for poor judgment so we find ourselves in a situation where we're unable to guarantee good outcomes, but um, it gets worse. We can make our situation worse when we exercise our judgment poorly. But we have to judge. On a daily basis, we all get up and have to make some choices about what to do during the course of the day, whether to buy this or that, trust this person or that person or nobody, 
never, you know, just, just by the simple fact of being alive, uh, we're kind of on a conveyor belt, you could say, that moves us into the future. And as we proceed in the course of our lives into the future, we have to choose. We have to make, we have to exercise judgment as we move through life. Life compels us. Uh, one of the things that we see in the New Testament is there are some different words for wisdom, and I want to point out two of them. One word you're probably familiar with, and it's the word Sophia. Sophia is the word that we translate uh, into the English word wisdom uh, most of the time in the New Testament. Um, but there's another word that's translated into the English word wisdom that's different in character, and it's uh, phronimos. Now, phronimos is the practical exercise of judgment. It's the word that was used to describe the wise builder. Remember at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a story about the wise and foolish builders? Well, the wise builder used his head, and phronimos actually kind of uh, is a, a word that relates to the head. Phrenology, are you familiar with the word phrenology? Uh, once upon a time, people believed they could kind of tell your future by the bumps on your head. <laughs> it's, so it's uh, using your head. You know, Phronimos uh, is using your head well. And when we're talking about practical matters, generally uh, the wisdom that we're, we're speaking uh, of is uh, this kind of wisdom. Uh, the exercise good judgment in the course of your life. Sophia is much more sort of, uh, you know, head in the cloud stuff, you know, seeing the big picture, that kind of thing. That's what we think of when we think of philosophers, those guys. But when we think about just somebody in the course of his or her life exercising good judgment, we're saying, that person has good head on his shoulders or her shoulders. And that's what we need to, to possess if we're going to exercise judgment in the course of our lives. But the problem is, is that, you know, even though we can't guarantee good outcomes when we exercise good judgment, we can pretty much guarantee bad outcomes when we don't. <laughs> this, is the, this is the challenge that we face in the course of our lives. And there are asymmetric consequences for bad judgment. So what do I mean by that? Well, we've, we're given some illustrations here in, in this passage. Um, we're told that, uh, first of all, uh, one sinner destroys much good. You see that at the very end of chapter 9? You know, one bad apple spoils the bunch. One person can do a lot of damage uh, if that person is wicked. Uh, dead flies, this is the first verse in chapter 10, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. First of all, how the flies got in there, I don't know. But maybe they were drawn to the aroma, right? They were drawn to the aroma. They die uh, in the ointment and ruin the ointment. Uh, so you have asymmetric, meaning the consequences of the poor judgment or the consequences of the bad uh, as it's present in the good outweighs uh, the good or overcomes the good and ruins it. And then we see uh, the consequences of poor leadership uh, addressed in a couple of places. If we look at uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 5 through 7, uh, here uh, Solomon says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set up in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, what he's referring to here is not necessarily a person's social status, but this is an allusion to sort of moral status. There are some people in authority 
who are actually slaves to their appetites, you get my drift, and consequently as they pursue their interests in the position of a ruler, uh, they harm many people who are under their influence. Likewise, a person can be rich uh, in terms of his moral stature and wisdom and find himself with no authority, just sort of walking on the ground and no one pays attention to him. And uh, this tendency or this sort of this phenomenon of people not being uh, actually acknowledged or rewarded for their genuine virtues uh, is noted earlier when this uh, illustration is given of the city that's under siege. And that city uh, is small, it's, it's uh, tremendously uh, overpowered by this, this army that is building siege works against it. But in the city, there's a poor wise man, see that in verse 15, a poor wise man uh, who by his wisdom delivers the city, yet no one remembers the poor guy. Everybody instead uh, thinks about, you know, other folks who maybe don't deserve the praise that this person deserved. So consequently, we live in a world like that. In spite of the fact that we live in a world where we don't see things work out in the way that seems just, or in ways that seems just, we're supposed to be prudent nevertheless. We're supposed to exercise good judgment in the course of our lives. Uh, one of the things I think that's a real shame in our world today is that the word prudent has uh, become a kind of uh, pejorative to use uh, for uptight people. I don't know if you've ever uh, sort of seen this or heard this and, and kind of gotten what was implied when somebody says, don't be a prude, right? In other words, you know, don't be the sort of person who uh, fails to enjoy himself. Um, and that's kind of the popular understanding of the nature of prudence. But prudence was actually one of the four cardinal virtues that in uh, antiquity were praised and encouraged and uh, were in, sort of inculcated in people. Uh, the others were uh, probably uh, you know, familiar to you, justice, uh, temperance, and courage. But prudence was what uh, led the way. Prudence was a, a virtue that was encouraged in the young in particular. And what it really entailed was the exercise of good judgment. Learn how to exercise good judgment in the course of your life. And the reason that you should is because it keeps you from evil. If you can be prudent, you'll find that uh, you won't do certain things that will get you into trouble, uh, but also uh, you'll avoid certain practical things or practical problems that maybe have no moral character to them but nevertheless can harm you. Let me give you a couple of examples that are drawn right from this passage. One is, uh, again, back in chapter 10, verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. What's, in, what's being uh, sort of conveyed here? Is this just simply uh, a, a, a passage or a saying that's intended to, to help us understand that, uh, you know, digging pits and breaking down walls you know, this is, that this is hazardous work. I think that perhaps that has something to do with it, but I also think that walls generally in Scripture are uh, established, erected, in order to keep people within the bounds that they should uh, be, uh, stay within, and that bounds uh, that are established to protect others' goods uh, shouldn't be violated. 
pits often in Scripture are things that are dug in order to capture other people and perhaps uh, enslave them or uh, in some way uh, do harm to them. So uh, a prudent person uh, doesn't dig pits for other people. A prudent person doesn't break through walls that are established to protect other people's interests or even someone's own interests. And when people do those sorts of things, bad things happen to them in the long run. But then there's just the practical exercise of judgment, and we see that in verse 9. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. And I've been involved with both activities, and I can tell you that this is true. (laughs) You can get harmed when you spend any time doing either one of those things, quarrying stones or splitting logs. So the exercise of prudential judgment is something that needs to be uh, carried carried out in our lives so that we can, both on a moral level and on a practical level, make certain that we're uh, not getting ourselves or other people into trouble. Now, I want to step back and kind of put this in a larger framework. And uh, I wonder sometimes if life is a disaster movie. Have you, now, I don't, I don't think we've, we, well, sometimes, I, I don't watch much, you know, sort of uh, Hollywood fair, uh, anything that was, like, produced after, like, 1985, I'm completely ignorant about. All the good stuff is way back. But um, when I was a kid, I remembered uh, disaster films were, like, really big-time blockbusting, you know, stuff in, you know, the world of cinema. And I remember one in particular, The Towering Inferno, and another one was Earthquake. Anybody else here old enough to remember those films? Yeah, those were a lot of fun. I remember going to Earthquake, and they just turned up the volume so much that literally the entire theater was shaking as the film was, you know. I've actually been in an earthquake. I was in the Northridge Earthquake. It was much more dramatic in the film, I I want you to know. But anyway, And we live in a world where we're just constantly reminded about all of the things that just could happen that would wipe out our entire civilization. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, You know, we've got uh, climate change. Used to be called global warming. I don't know, maybe they'll have another name for it in a little while. Uh, We have pandemics. Uh, We've got, you know, asteroids. Did you notice that here recently NASA launched a rocket to strike an asteroid and, like, change its orbit? I just have this bad feeling about that, <laughs> that, that it, the asteroid was just fine, and now it's just going to hit the Earth in like 300 years, you know, it's just, anyway, uh, so we've got a number of things that we're reminded about every once in a while that kind of give us a sense of, you know, fear that maybe, you know, our civilization will be wiped out in, in a moment. And uh, then there are things that occasionally happen that we overreact to. I can't help but think that everybody, or most people, most reasonable people now believe that we overreacted to the pandemic. I think someday we'll, you know, uh, kind of, you know, share stories with each other around the fire. When did you really know that it was not as bad as they said it was? You know, and then we'll all brag to each other about how much, you know, how how little time it took for you or me. I knew it even before (laughs) that it wasn't going to amount to anything. But anyway... Uh, we, have, we have this sense, I think, of impending dread that weighs over us. 
And in part, this sense of impending dread weighs over us uh, because of this tendency that we have to, you know, imagine all the ways that the world could be, you know, harmed or destroyed or a civilization wiped out. But it's, you know, in spite of the fact that most of the time, uh, you know, we're crying wolf, if you recall the story, the little boy who cried wolf, and our, our, our you know, our, our, our sense of, uh, you know, what is actually, uh, you know, possible uh, continues to sort of shrink. Nevertheless, disasters do come, and they can be big. Uh, Mount Vesuvius, um, the Black Death, Cultural Revolution in China. Bad things do happen, and there are tremendous consequences for those, uh, you know, that follow with, because of those events. And in a sense, we really do need insurance. Getting back to my point earlier about preparing for the worst. How do you prepare for the worst? Well, lots of time, you know, many times in our civilization, uh, in the modern world, we buy insurance. I've got lots of insurance. I'm, I'm insured against just about anything that could happen to me. It uh, doesn't mean bad things won't happen to me, but I've got the insurance. Uh, and we need insurance, but there is a kind of insurance that uh, we're being encouraged to invest in here in this passage that I'd like to commend to you because it's, a, it's not quite the same thing as the insurance that travelers or Cigna sell. We're told in chapter 11, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Now, I've been puzzled by that image. Why do you want soggy bread? Um, that's the, the immediate impression that I have. But I think the verse that follows uh, is, is something that is intended to bring to mind something, something else. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. At one level, I think we're being told to diversify here. And that's always a good thing. But what are you investing yourself in? What is this calling you to invest yourself in? Equities and bonds, maybe a little gold. <laughs> I don't think that's what is being addressed here. When, we, when this passage is referring to give a portion to seven or even to eight, the, the thing I have in mind is people. Investing in people, giving something of your substance to others. Do you remember the story of the unjust steward in Luke's gospel? It's perhaps the most perplexing of the parables that Jesus taught because in that parable, we've got a real slime ball who's held up as the hero. In this story, we find that uh, there's this steward who has been embezzling, and uh, the, his, his employer finds out and says, you're fired, bud, and then gives the guy a date, apparently. Doesn't just like, you know, say, get out of here now. He says, you know, uh, prepare to leave, apparently. And after this you know, a bit of bad news has been delivered to this unjust steward, what's he do? He says, what am I going to do? Uh, I'm, I'm too proud to beg, or I'm ashamed to beg, and I'm not, I'm not strong enough to dig. Um, I can't, you know, support myself as a manual laborer, so what am I going to do? 
Then he says, I got it. I got it. He calls in all of his master's, uh, you know, uh, debtors. And uh, they come before him and he, he says, okay, what do you owe my master? And the first guy, you know, says a certain amount of wheat. And he says, cut it in half. <laughs> now owe my master half as much as you did. And then another one comes in. He owes a certain amount of wine. And he says, cut that in by a third. And in the process, he ends up securing the favor of all of these people who owed his master uh, and had to pay the master back. And then he says, now I have some place to go. These people will welcome me now into their homes because of these good things that I've done for them. Now, obviously, when we look at that parable, we say, what is the Lord trying to say to us? Uh, is it like a good thing to go and like, you know, give away stuff that doesn't belong to you? <laughs> is, that, is that what's being said? Actually, yes. The parable is not about you and your employer. The parable is about you and God. God has entrusted you and me with many good things. And those things really do belong guess, to guess whom? God. And when we use those things to bless people around us, what are we doing? We're using mammon to make friends that can be eternal friends, friends who will love and appreciate us, hopefully, and be there for us when we need them uh, as we were there for them when they needed us. So in the marvelous economy of God, what the Lord is saying is, go ahead, uh, use my stuff. <laughs> use my stuff to make friends. And if you do that, you'll be prepared for the, for, for the vicissitudes of life. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to bad people, but bad things also happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people, and good things happen to good people. You just don't know. You just don't know. So how do you prepare? How do you acquire the insurance that you need to be able to rest secure? The way I just described that, that parable. In other words, the church, as we give to each other and are there for each other, are our insurance plan. You ever think about the fact that the Amish don't have insurance? They don't need insurance. The Amish are the insurance. Your barn burns down, what do they do? They come and they build you a new barn. Big barn raising is a big event. You can go on YouTube, by the way, and see these guys in action. It's like an, ar an army of ants. Over the course of like a day, you know, a hundred Amish men will raise a barn. I'm not talking about a small one, I'm talking about a huge one. They, they've done it before. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Uh, so if we think in those terms, the vicissitudes of life, which can catch us off guard, unprepared, we'll be there for each other at, the, at that time. We are the survival shelter for each other. Now, getting to the largest and most significant um, black swan that we ine are inevitably going to face, death, there is a, a way to prepare for that, of course, and that's through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who went through death for us. He's our insurance with regard to that. And Pascal, 
Blaise Pascal, and I'll just finish with this. Um, Blaise Pascal was a brilliant uh, mathematician, inventor, philosopher. Um, he proposed a wager, Pascal's wager. You may be familiar with, with it. And Pascal's wager goes, uh, goes like this. Basically, when it comes to this question of whether or not there is a God and there is eternal life, you have a couple of options. Either it's so or it's not. <laughs> Either it's so or it's not. Now, you have to make a choice. It's not like, uh, like it's like, it's like, like undecided is not a choice. Actually, undecided is a choice. <laughs> it's you're, you're, when you say I'm undecided, you're actually betting that there's not a God and that there is no eternal life. You must choose. You're like on that conveyor belt I described earlier. In the course of your life, you're proceeding to that, uh, that you know, final terminus point, death, that, that awaits you. And you have to, you have to choose. Uh, is there a God or not? Then he says, okay, let's look at the options. If there's no God and you bet that there is, you're no worse off than you were otherwise. <laughs> you're dead. It's over and you haven't lost a thing. On the other hand, if you say that there is a God and you invest yourself in faith in that promise that we have in the gospel, then you win it all. Make your choice. Now, some people have found this less than convincing. The point is not to prove the existence of God. And that's where I think people go awry when they, when they reflect on Pascal's wager. Pascal is not trying to prove the existence of God. Pascal is simply saying, you must choose. You must choose. There is no way not to. So what's your choice? Now, if you say, well, I believe in you know, Krishna and I'm a Hindu, well, you've made your choice. You've basically you know, made the choice of no. <laughs> you know, I've made the choice against this God that's presented to us in Scripture and the promise that is you know, presented to us in Christ. So you can't bring other religious systems into the equation. All other religious systems are under the no category. So it's either yes or no. You must choose. My advice and Pascal's advice is to choose Christ. Choose Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there are passages, uh, passages in the Bible which deal with us very uh, directly uh, and do not pretty things up at all, and this particular passage is, is in that category. Nevertheless, Lord, uh, we're also made wise as we deal with reality as we find it, not as we wish it were. Help us, Lord, to find the grace from you that we need in order to live wisely in this world, to trust you, and to be there for each other. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.